there were some people there in the store and this woman was behind the counter and I said, you've got to call the police right now. I think I just killed a man. I think I just killed a man. You have to call the call 911 right now. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. Just want to give a quick shout out to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash OPL show who are supporting the show. When you sign up, you get bonus episodes and things like access to our discord where you can chat with previous guests. Yeah. Thank you to all the patrons there. A really awesome community that we're building. And I want to kick this episode off by saying, you know, I think with, with this topic in particular, I think we all have an innate fear, you know, within us when it comes to the fact that, you know, we are mortal. We can die at any time. Uh, however, we don't consider as much uh, the fact that we could be the ones who play a part in the death of another person. I think accidents happen, of course, preventable injuries, car crashes. Uh, we understand how tragic these sudden scenarios and the loss of life can be for the victim and for the families. Uh, however, we don't often hear about the tragedy that is you know, to be involved in the accidental death of another. Uh, so we've got today's guest on the line and just really want to thank you for being on and, you know, thank you for your willingness to shed uh, some light on this difficult topic. Thank you for having me. So uh, let's start off uh, by having you walk us through the particular incident that you are involved in. Okay. So this was in 1993 I was in the second semester of my first year of college. I had actually just turned 19 about three weeks before, so I was pretty young. Um, and I was not doing that great in my second semester at college. So I had spent the day with uh, kind of a study group. It was my sister and some other of our friends, and we were all working together on getting ready for our midterms, and I had a couple of assignments that were overdue. I was I was just really behind, and so I'd spent all day just trying to catch up. So then I ended up leaving a little late. I, I think this happened at like one in the morning. So I'd driven home. Where I went to college was about forty-five minutes away from my home. So I was just driving home, and it was um, pretty desolate. It was, uh, it's like a four-lane road, but there was no other traffic. And the part of town where I was, I wasn't that far, my sister actually had left right before me, and she was driving, because we had all met our friends at the same place. And uh, she was going to the same university as well. And so, what I, as I was driving home, I was in the right lane of this kind of main thoroughfare, through to get to my house. I was about probably about three or four miles from home. And then it's so hard to even remember exactly, but um, this guy just stepped in front of my car and I just felt the impact. And then there was the blood sprayed up on my windshield but he actually went under my car and the eerie thing is, is that something that it took me so long to even uh, cl click in my mind is that under the street lights it looked green 
And so I didn't even register that it was blood, but I knew I'd hit somebody, but I didn't stop. I, it was like, I was just, you know, you have that fight, flight or freeze, everything just froze. And then, and then there were these guys on the side of the road, cause evidently it was a, a little like a dive bar that he was at and they, uh, they started yelling at me and, and of course they're probably saying stop the car crazy lady but that just made me even more afraid like what are they gonna do to me because I thought maybe the guy had been pushed and I thought what what are they gonna do to me and then it was just like everything just shut off like I just started screaming and you like you see that in movies I didn't know that was a thing that could really happen like I could not stop screaming and in my mind I'm just thinking but and like but my I'm just screaming I can't stop screaming and of course this is pre-cell phone days and so I thought I have got to call the police I've got to call the police that's all I could think and as it was probably about two miles up I finally found a gas station was open and it was kind of a sketchy neighborhood and I just ran in and uh, there, there were some people there in the store and this woman was behind the counter and I said you've got to call the police right now I think I just killed a man I think I just killed a man you have to call the call 911 right now only she said, lady, I can't understand anything you're saying. So I felt like I was so clear. Like, you have to call right now. But evidently, everybody in that store, nobody could understand what I was saying. It was just, and so I just, I was like, how am I going to, so I had to make this decision in my brain, like, clearly I'm hysterical. So I, uh, I don't even know where I parked. Like, I just parked wherever. I was probably in front of a gas pump for all I know. I just, you know, jumped out and ran in. And then, um, finally, I calmed myself down and got myself to say it slowly enough. You've got to call the police. I think I just killed a man. And so she said, okay, okay. And so she calls, and then... Um, then it's kind of a blur. I don't know. I think I was just, I, I don't know what I looked like. A mad woman, I guess. Because at one point she even came around the counter and just hugged me. Um, she said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And she just patted me on the back. <laughs> you know, looking back, I think that poor woman, she had no idea she was going to have to do some sort of trauma intervention in the middle of the night. So, you know, in the beginning where you know you there's the impact and you know you end up continuing to drive i know that's that's a hard thing to get your brain around and it's a hard thing to excuse i i really think a lot about that why didn't i stop was there any sort of repercussions for that no i thought there might have been I, I really thought I was going to go to jail, but um, a detective came and picked me up, 
and he said, is there someone I can call? And I said, well, you'll have to call my uh, Our parents died when I was a kid, so we lived with my grandpa, but I knew my grandpa couldn't handle it. So I called my older sister, who had been at the same thing with me, and she came down to the police station and met me. But, um, and then I had to recount my day. And so he was asking, so, you know, at what time were you doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that? Two things really helped me. I guess three. One, I hadn't been drinking at all. Two, I was going under the speed limit. And three, I immediately called the police as soon as I could. And uh, so my sister sat next to me while I was talking. And, um, you know, we went through... You know, they do it where they say, okay, but what were you doing before that? And what before that? And then this and then that. And then where were you driving from? What road? I, I guess that's just how they do it to get a whole picture of the day. And I kept saying, oh, I was studying. I was studying. I was studying. And finally, my sister interjected and said, because it started to sound like I was just some sort of super student that <laughs> spends all my time studying. And she's like, we're not really great students. We're trying to catch up. <laughs> and, uh, so, but that's why I had been doing that for the last six or eight hours, you know. So when does it get verified for you uh, that this man, you know, did not survive? And how much detail do you find out, you know, about him? Or, or was it confirmed that he had been drunk and just kind of stumbled into the middle of the road? Yeah, that's the... There's some weird stuff with that. Okay, so first of all, I kept asking the guy, is he dead? Is he dead? Did I kill him? And uh, he's like, we'll talk about it at the station. And then he got my story. And then I said, but but he's dead, right? And he said, yeah, he's dead. And, you know, my sister and I just sat there, um, which we've had a lot of trauma in our lives, so there's not a lot you can do except just take it in. And then, it was probably three or four years later, I said to my sister, you know, I've always just felt like he was pushed. And she said, yeah, the detective said that. I said, I don't remember that, because there's so much, I was in shock, I don't remember. And she said, yeah, he absolutely said that, that the guy had been pushed. That I guess there was a big bar fight out in the parking lot, and he had been pushed. So I think that ultimately is what made the difference. I, I think there were a lot of witnesses there that said he'd been pushed. So can you kind of, you know, tell us about how, you know, you find out that, you know, this happened, you're a part of it, this guy was hit by your car, you know, mentally, where are you, you know, the next couple of months or so? Oh, uh, well, that very first night I got home, it was in the early hours of the morning, and I would drop off to sleep, but I would immediately dream it over, and then I'd drop off it, and then it would, it just kept replaying, um, and there's, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever hit like a, like a dog or a deer maybe, but there's a sound, and that sound kept grabbing me that that thump and uh even to this 
Well, one time, my eldest daughter, she's 22, and she was about two years old, and she rolled out of bed and hit the floor, and it woke me up, and it set off every alarm in my brain because it was that body thump. And, it, you know, it was not, not the same at all, but it was enough similar that it's, it just set off every, all like I was shaking from it. So, I mean, there's always that, I mean, even years later, I have all these um, nightmares about my brakes failing or um, I can't control the car, things like that. But at the time, um, I really spun out. Uh, I ended up dropping out of school and then... Uh, my boyfriend at the time, who's my husband now, he actually had to go pick up my car and wash it for me. So that I, so that I had a car. Jeez, there's no one else that can do that? That's... Wow. I, I know. And so then I... Uh, I didn't want to drive. I didn't want to drive at all. Ever. Again. But then I thought, no, this is it, Amy. You're going to have to just get back in that car. You've got to do this. You know, you got to live. you gotta, you got to go to work. You know, nobody's, nobody's going to pay your bills for you. So initially, is it a feeling of kind of responsibility for the loss of life that you had? Or, you know, was it more so, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. I think a lot about that guy and, you know, I've almost deliberately not looked too much into his life. Now, at the time, of course, in 93, it wasn't like I could just, you know, Google him up. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I've never looked him up because I just think about, like, his kids. If he had kids, did they had to grow up without him? Or grandkids. Does he, ha- does he have grandkids now? I mean, although this has been 30 years ago and he was like, 60 at the time so maybe he but who knows maybe he would still be alive mm. and you know and, and what is the trauma that that passed down to his family like you know that generational trauma that it just you know it's a ripple and it just goes out to everybody yeah and and i think that's you know what's what's important here too is just how many people something like this an accident you know can of how many people it can affect because you know we're almost desensitized to it at this point where you know you're just driving down the street or you see an accident on the side of the road and um like i said in the beginning you know it's it's obvious that there's potentially a a victim here but you know a, a lot of accidents are they're accidents they're accidental so yeah just to hear you know the the things that you have to deal with as someone on the other end of it um but how do you begin to you know, how do you begin to kind of shed that guilt or that feeling of responsibility over time? Well, I mean, I can't say that it ever completely goes away. It's sort of like, you know, when you you lose somebody really close to you, like my mom, that when my mother died, I was 16, and it just was all I could think about from the Mom and I waked up, woke up in the morning until I went to sleep at night, and then I'd dream about it. And it was like that immediate moment, and that's how this was too. It's like that immediate trauma 
And then eventually, it's not that you no longer have those feelings. It's just becomes a, you incorporate it. And then it's just part of who you are, but it's not all you think about all the time. Did you do any sort of therapy or anything to... I did, kind of. quite a bit. Yeah, because I dropped out of school, and then I just went through this period of time where I felt so worthless, and that um, I was too stupid for college. I was, uh, you know, I, I didn't even deserve whatever good was in my life. And then I ended up moving in with my now husband, um, we got married when I was 20, and uh, I just started living in a very adult life at that point. Um, I actually finished college when I was 30, because i that was how long it took me to <laughs> kind of put myself back together. So. Yeah, and I will say, too, you know, this, this is... It's interesting to hear. I do personally know someone who this happened to. and You said that before, and it made me wonder. And that's another thing that happens. It's like anytime I tell somebody this story, and I never, ever tell them all those details about the sounds and the, the blood because, you know, it's easier to tell a stranger a story than it is. Because if I tell my sister that, um, that's just going to cause her pain. Mm-hmm. Or if I tell my kids that that's just going to cause them pain and there's no reason for them to have that but but it does happen anytime i happen to say and it's very rare that i tell anyone but it's only if it is becomes relevant because i'll hear somebody else that it happened to and they just don't want to talk about it yeah that that's what i found too it's you know it i think it's difficult to inquire about these things too especially to someone that you know is going through this trauma and you know the person that i know i'm fairly close with but it's never a conversation that we've had you know just sort of aware that it happened aware that they had you know a very difficult time right after uh luckily have been able to move on in a sense um seems like you know work on that trauma and kind of go through the steps mentally uh, and physically you know on on the journey of recovery from something like this um but it is it's difficult to to ask someone to you know hey tell me about this i see that too i mean i think about like i i know a couple of people who have lost children and that is such a horrific idea and it's like do you not talk about that child because I mean, specifically, I know one woman whose son was in my eldest daughter's high school, and he died in his first year of college. And I think, well, what's more painful to her, to um, never have her son mentioned, or to be re- to be talking about? You know, I, it, of course, you want to he- have somebody say, "Oh, I have this nice memory about your son," but what if she's going through a bad day or whatever mm-hmm. so. yeah and also i think that it helps to talk about it too because like we were saying in the beginning of this episode it's not really a perspective that you think about you know you when when something tragic happens to someone you think about the victim's family but it's like there's also someone here who is a victim of 
some sort of post-traumatic stress like it's a very traumatic situation for someone who didn't do anything wrong and was just like in a way in the wrong place at the wrong time and you know that has effects also so it's i i you know i and i understand that it it's probably not easy to talk about and you know like greg says he knows someone who you know this has happened to but they don't really talk about it either um so it's nice to get this perspective and you know, for people to understand that when there is a tragedy that happens, there is, you know, yeah, not just the victim's family, but other people who are affected by that as well. I think about, um, you know, I, I hear it on the news all the time. Just, you know, driving around on the radio, you'll hear, you know, somebody was hit on an interstate or you know, pedestrians, pedestrians killed and not just a car wreck, which I'm sure has its own trauma. But this particular idea that, you know, I'm in this machine, I'm the one, per- I'm the one control of it, and it's, it's a, it's a deadly machine, you know? Yeah. And I think, every time I hear that, I think, oh, that poor person that happened to, I think, and I, and I think that, you know, I think that, oh, that poor family of that person who died, but then I also think, oh, that poor person that hap- just happened to. It was like I had to have uh, a prescription for sleeping pills for the first two months just to even get any sleep at all. And then, yeah, I did go to um, therapy pretty extensive. I was diagnosed PTSD. But then I also had another round. Uh, I was 24 when I had my uh, first daughter. And... I had a terrible postpartum depression and had to go do it all again because it, it everything was triggered, you know, and I, I, I can't explain why. I mean, I'm sure that's, you know, that's partially hormonal, but it, but it was also just, you know, thinking about that guy was somebody's baby. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I took him away. So. Do you think that? Do you think that you took them away? Or do you think that it's a little more complicated than that? Well, there's always the logical part of my brain that says, there's nothing you could have done. Um, <laughs> as my psychologist would say, <laughs> you have to stay away from absolute statements. I always am bad. I'm never this, always that. You know, everything's... You know, any any kind of absolute thinking is going to get you in a bad place. So, no, it's not all my fault. But what if I hadn't been driving on that road? What if I'd done my homework before and had to, hadn't had to stay up all night? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only thing, like, that, you know, with that sort of, like, line of thinking is, like, it would go all the way back to, like, what if you were never born, which is, like... I think a lot of these things aren't really related. I mean, if the guy was pushed like you guys think, then there's nothing really that anyone could have done in that situation. Well, but what if I had been paying more attention and had gotten in the left lane instead of the right? What that? Yeah. So here's a thing that happens. So anytime I see anybody on the road whatsoever, I'm in a hyper awareness. 
and I, and if I'm writing, my poor husband, he's he's been through it. Let me tell you, um, if I see somebody even like two blocks up and we're at a stop line, I'm like, hey, there's a person there. You need to look. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes sense though. I mean, it's. <laughs> And even, uh, I will say, about two months after we moved in together, so we were, we were living together about six months before we got married, and um, uh, he had a dog. And, I mean, he didn't see it. It wasn't on purpose by any means, but I lost. I started screaming. It was like a mini event, like... The primary event. I, I just, and he had to pull over, and it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I was like, is the dog dead? Is the dog? Dead? I mean, it was just, I couldn't get a handle on it, and uh, he's like, no, I'm sorry. It's, just, I guess he probably wanted to just say at that point, the dog's fine. He, he ran off, but you know. Right. I mean, having spoken with a lot of... Uh, oh, you have to look. You never know. <laughs> yeah. No, we've spoken to a lot of people, you know, who have experienced similar types of trauma. And I mean, those triggers are, are very real. You know, it's understandably something that, you know, you can't control. And it could be a sound. It could be a noise. It could be a smell. But it's, yeah, I mean, it is to your point of, you know, being kind of hyper aware and careful you know, we should all be because it's, it's scary to think, like you said, you know, we're, we put ourselves at risk every time we get in a car and it's sort of mind blowing how, how we all just are allowed to operate these machines. And, you know, it's, it's where yeah. I live, you know, there is no public transit to speak of, you know, it's very limited. So I live in a very car culture centric you know area and so it's just standard you know when your kid turns 16 15 and a half they get their permit 16 they get a license right and and what are these kids going to do if that happens and i have uh i have to say i a little bit scared my kids uh my eldest two are 22 and 20 but they were, uh, they were like 16 and 18 when they were first uh, taking a driving class because I was sending them to driving school. That none of this we teach you on our own. And um, I sat them down, and I told them this happened to me, and I didn't give them any of the gory details, but I just said, "Look, this is something that could happen, so you should be mindful." And I think I, I feel bad about that because uh, my eldest daughter, who's 22, she still doesn't have a license. She has a permit and that's all. Although she did move to a city for college that has better public transit options. Mm. My middle daughter, who's 20, just got her license last week. But on the other hand, maybe they just weren't ready and they knew it. And I wasn't going to put any pressure on them. So I, I get a lot of pushback from other parents um, who say, well, why don't they have their license yet? You know, they could be running these errands for themselves. And I'm like, no, 
if they're not ready to drive, they're not ready to drive. And that's fine by me. No, absolutely. And I'm someone who doesn't drive, haven't, hasn't driven in a long time, does not own a car. And I'm thankful for that all the time. And, you know, I think it's just separate from your situation because I think your situation kind of embodies the reality of freak accidents and, and nothing that you could do about your situation. And, and that's a scary reality out there for us is that, you know, each day that we leave our house, we take our houses, we take a risk of potentially losing our own lives and potentially being involved in, in injuring or killing someone else. And that's the reality of it, especially when you're driving. But I think for people who, you know, now just seeing how many people are texting and driving, how many people are on the phone and driving, and it is just such an important, yes, it's such an important reminder uh, for people. Because when I see people texting, I just think, what are you doing? Do you have any idea what this could, uh, it's just, they just don't think that they're distracted, I guess. They don't see the reality of it. Yeah, I think we, we think we're invincible. I mean, we, that's how we feel. And, and we don't realize the power that, you know, we have to injure others or potentially hurt others as well. You know, sometimes we think about our own safety, but um, yeah, it's, it's important. It's really, it's scary to see. And, you know, hopefully even talking about this topic is a reminder for people out there too, that everyone should be hyper aware because it's, you know, it's, it's very scary. The risks that we take. I think it's, I think it's the mentality of everyone thinking like that will never happen to me. Like that is a story that is unique. I don't know anyone who that's ever happened to, so it's not going to happen to me. So I'm just not going to be as aware as I should be, I guess. I always hear people say that on like crime TV shows or whatever, like, well, you just never think it's going to happen to you. And I think, I never think that. I mm. always think anything could happen to me at any time. <laughs> but, um, you know, and there's another thing that happens in like movies. Think about how many times you see somebody get hit by a car in a movie or a TV show. And it is triggering for me. Like I can usually kind of predict when it's about to happen. If somebody's standing in a road or they're about to run across a road, then I'm, okay, I'm ready. But they do this thing where it's supposed to, it's like the jump scare or whatever. And nobody's expecting it. I'm usually expecting it, but not always. And when it happens, it is very upsetting. <laughs> You know, and, and anytime I see like two people in a car and they're driving along and they're talking to each other and that's the scene and they're looking at each other a lot, which I, I know it's, you know, they're not really driving. It's, you know, Hollywood, it's the way they film it. But the whole time I'm thinking, put your eyes on the road. You are going to kill somebody. Yeah. It's, it's, that's such a common scene. Yeah. No. And, and you, uh, I can't imagine for someone in your position too, because the anxiety that even as a viewer that hasn't had an experience like yours, it's like, it's so obvious when those scenes are about to unfold. Um, so I, yeah, I could imagine how triggering, but I mean, I'll just be kind of bracing myself. Okay. They're about to hit somebody. They're probably yeah. about to hit somebody. I'm okay. Just brace yourself. It's going to be all right. And then they don't. And I'm like, really people? <laughs> this yeah. is what we're doing now. <laughs> Well, look, we, we really, really want to thank you. And if, if you've been following the show, you know, for some time, we always say this, but it's the courage of our guests uh, and especially, you know, trauma survivors like yourself. You know, it, 
the the strength and the courage does not go unnoticed and you know i just think you're putting yourself in a position to be a voice um to be a sign of hope for others who have been in the same or similar position um especially with a topic like this you know i hope it's help it's going to help anyone you know to see that you are able to move on with your life to start a family of your own um you know and then also just to make people more aware of you know this reality and the risks that we take and to be safer to be more vigilant um there's nothing wrong with being hyper aware in dangerous situations so you know we really really thank you i I think this is a super important conversation to have and we know that it was not easy for you to share that story yeah it really wasn't but um i do want to say if i've given a lot of thought of how to form some sort of network because I've actually personally met two or three people that this has happened to and when we find out it's like oh I see you I see you and it doesn't have to be I'm just purely a victim of circumstance it's um, I was the driver and I and I was drinking and or you know and that's a whole added dimension of personal responsibility and I just wish I knew some way to build a network Um, as you know I'm not that technologically savvy but I'm open to ideas and suggestions is my point totally and if there's anyone who reaches out to us that would want to be connected with you uh, to to talk then we are happy to pass their information along to you 100% okay great well thank you so much again thank you Thanks, guys. All right, guys, before we get to our final thoughts, we do have a sponsor on today's show, which is Blue Chew. Uh, Blue Chew brings you the first chewable uh, with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So if you're looking to up your sex game uh, as a man, uh, you can definitely do that. You can take it at any time. Like I said, it's chewable, so it's easy to digest. Uh, Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. It could be a little weird, a little awkward. takes all that out of it, all right? And even if you don't have any erectile dysfunction or anything like that, uh, this will just help improve your game. They're made in the U.S., and since Blue Chew prepares and ships directly, um, they are cheaper than a pharmacy, and best of all, there's no awkwardness, like I was saying before. Um, and right now, you can visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free with the promo code OPL. Just pay $5 for shipping. So if you want to try it, it's free. Just pay the $5 for shipping, okay? So again, that's bluechew, spelled B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, and use the promo code OPL to try it for free. I don't know why you would pass up on this kind of deal, but there it is, bluechew.com. Uh, Use the promo code OPL to try it for free. Our next sponsor is Stamps.com. I love Stamps.com. I use them every single day for my phone service business called Wing, where we mail out SIM cards to our customers. And with Stamps.com, we get print postage on demand, plus amazing discounts that you can't get at the post office. Honestly, Stamps.com has allowed us to scale our business from sending out just a few packages a day when we started to now sending out literally hundreds of packages a day uh, all over the United States. And Stamps.com brings 
all your shipping needs to your computer, which means no more long lines at the post office, uh, shipping from the comfort of your home. And if you're a business owner, small or large, if you have any shipping needs at all, stamps.com is a no brainer. It will save you time. It'll save you money, uh, no matter what type of package letter you want to send and no matter where you want to send it. And right now our listeners get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. It's a free trial for four weeks. Uh, Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in OPL. That's stamps.com, microphone at the top of the homepage, enter OPL. Guys, make your lives easier with stamps.com. Wow, man. heavy conversation um you know one of the cool things about the show is that i feel like we do get to find these very interesting point of views because like i said earlier in the episode like you don't really think about this point of view at all like when you see a and not that that's bad because there is something tragic someone lost their life and you think about immediately like you feel bad for that person you feel bad for their loved ones and their family and their kids and all this stuff but you don't really stop and think of like, damn, the other person on the other side of this is sort of responsible and has this guilt and has this, you know, traumatic experience as well that they have to live with for the rest of their life. So it's like, it's it's just nice to have that because I know the next time that I witness a car accident or I hear about something like this, there is going to be that sense of, uh, you know, like you feel sorry for you know, obviously the family of the victim, but also the person that may be involved, like when they didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. That that person is a victim too. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's it's scary. And it's, you know, we, we all just have such uh, like large scale fears, I would say, you know, we, maybe a lot of us get nervous when we get on an airplane or, you know, things like that. But the reality is that, you know, every time we're getting in a car, every time we're going out into the world, like, these things happen. Not every death caused by someone else or, you know, it's, it's not murder everywhere. Like right. <laughs> these accidents happen and motor vehicle accidents, especially it's, that's a leading cause of death. So it's, you know, just, it's a good reminder, um, that, you know, obviously our own lives are fragile, but also we have to protect others and, you know, we, we have to be safe because it is a risk and yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's crazy to hear that story. It's, it's, it's good it's, that I can yeah. only imagine what that's like too, because when you go through a traumatic event and like, I don't really have anything to compare it to other than tearing my ACL just because it changed the way that I do certain things. Right. And like not everyday life because I could still run around and jump around and whatever, but I'm way more conscious of my knee, you know? And when I, when she, cause it, it I'm making this connection because of what she said. I, I'm Oh, when she was talking about like the movies, when she's watching movies and like, oh, you're not watching the road, whatever. Because like when I'm watching a basketball game, like I'm watching like the NBA, whenever someone like drives to the lane and it's like a little busy under the hoop, I'm watching everyone's legs. Like I'm watching mm. the person who goes up for the layup. I'm watching their feet like come down and just I'm nervous about them like rolling their ankle or like, you know, landing wrong or like this and that. And like it, I it like, it makes me feel super anxious and that's on a much smaller scale so imagine something like a car which 
you like have to use, not have to, but you most likely are going to get in cars like for the rest of your life. And to always be like on edge sort of. Right. I think that's, that's what makes her strong too, because it's, it's, you have to live a normal life. Like you want to get on with a normal life. And like she said, especially where she lives, driving is a key part of that. So she really had no choice but to, you know, kind of face this head on and, and ease her way back into it. But it's, it's just to, sh- to share that story. It's just so unimaginable to, you know, be in her shoes, I think. And, you know, it, it gets me emotional thinking about it, to be honest. It's just like, you know, we say this, we've said this on other, on other episodes, I know, but just the strength that it takes to share these stories and to, to relive memories. I think when we speak to guests that are in this position where they truly have to relive a very difficult memory, uh, they're doing it for the sake of helping others. And that's the strength that so many of us will never even have to muster up in our lives because we won't go through something like that. Uh, And it's so much, even if we do, it's so much easier to just not talk about it, um, let alone with strangers with, you know, a platform. So just, you know, forever grateful for conversations like this, I think, and the the power that they carry with them. And, you know, it's just nice to know that uh, after episodes like this, people do reach out and, and they do say that it helped them. So, it's uh, just a serious, serious level of strength to, to relive this, to be able to help others. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, and for anyone out there who has a story or anything that they think would be interesting for the show, don't hesitate to reach out. Go to OPLshow.com, send us an email. We go through all of them, and if it works, we'll reach out and schedule something with you. Yes, follow us on Instagram at OPL Podcast. Uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash OPL show. That community is growing fast. We've got a ton of bonus episodes there and uh, it really helps support the show. It helps us keep, you know, doing what we're doing and having conversations like this. So thank you to all the patrons. And, you know, I know this is separate from her story, but do not text and drive. Just Mm -hmm. please don't do it. And that is all. That is all. See you guys next time.